Hello, this is the Ski Podcast, your favourite ski and snowboard podcast. Ian Martin is the other presenter in the studio, the virtual studio, um, and he's obviously ably assisted by me, Jim Duncan. Hi, Ian. Hi, Jim. You right? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Thanks for asking. Um, in today's show, um, we're going to be talking about Listex. Ian's been chatting to Corinne Mayhew. Uh, we're going to be chatting about single travellers skiing in Japan. There will be reviews as well. Don't forget, you can get in touch with the show by going to theskipodcast.com, finding us on Facebook. We're on Twitter at The Ski Podcast. You can email us, which you'll find all the details on our website. And you can get in touch with Ian personally at Skipedia on Twitter. Or you can stalk me on Instagram at The Average Skier. And also don't forget to have a listen back to some of our past shows that are packed full of interesting insight and information as always. Let's get cracking with this show. Ian, do you want to talk about Thomas Cook at all? Not really. I mean, uh, it does have some. It does have some relevance for the ski industry, as a lot of tour operators were planning on using their flights this winter, um, and the the plug has been pulled, and they need to fill that gap. They've got a bit more time than when Monarch went bust a couple of years ago, um, but it probably will affect uh, costs for a number of uh, the the larger tour operators who are chartering their flights. But Thomas Cook didn't even run actual ski holidays, so it shouldn't really affect anyone in that. It's just a flight problem, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Good, well, we go. That's uh, a cheery thing. I just wanted to clear up, make sure that didn't have any interesting information about me before we <laughs> in. Um, so you've been at Listex, the, uh, the London, not in London anymore, International Ski um, Travel Exchange. Is that right? Close enough. London International Ski Trade Exchange. And uh, it's in it's in Hemel Hempstead, which might be in London if you're kind of from America or something. But most people don't really consider it in London. But there is snow there because it's at a snow centre, so there was a bit of time to ski if you wanted to. But you didn't, right? I didn't ski. No, far too far no too skis. busy. Some people did go on the snow, but um, yeah, didn't have enough time for that. But it was very interesting. Yeah, it was a meeting of um, ski minds and industry people, Ian. What did you learn? Well, loads of stuff. I learned that Brexit is going to be a bad thing uh, for the ski industry. Um, We've mentioned that in a couple of episodes before, but we had a couple of specialists uh, there talking about the legal and uh, accounting sides of things. More interesting to me was a presentation done by James Gambrell, who's the organiser of the event. They do a huge piece of research uh, uh, every year, and he was revealing the uh, results of that. And, you know, it told us lots of things. Some things we probably knew already, like under 35s, like Instagram uh, and booking online more than older people. But he, he had a bunch of stats about um, what people think a ski holiday in a country will be like uh, before they go. Or, or if they've never been, for example, and if they actually have gone and the difference between those figures. Does that make sense to you? So, for example, if I you know, was thinking about going to uh, Switzerland, I might uh, perceive it to be um, overall all the food's not really that good, the quality of skiing is OK, the value for money is really bad. Yeah? But if I yeah, went... So if when, when they, they surveyed people what they thought about it uh, who hadn't been, and they surveyed people who had been, and in every single case, for every single uh, country, it was always better when people went than they actually imagined it would be. So the food was always better, the accommodation was always better, the quality of skiing was always better, and the value for money was always better. And that made me wonder, 
Are skiers just a bunch of pessimistic people? Is it just British people? Just it a bunch was of just British people? people, yeah. I think, uh, you know, you manage your expectations, right? It's going to be too expensive, then you get, oh, it's not too bad. Right, You think okay. Bulgaria is going to be rubbish, you think the ski instructor is going to be terminal and the snow is not going to be good and the, the beer is going to be cheap when you get there and, you you know, it's correct. <laughs> right, OK, I mean, it could be that. Maybe maybe that is a, a British uh, sort of thing. What was um, clear from it is that the... Uh, the overall um, opinion of food was best for Italy and mm. the overall value for money was best for Italy, but the overall quality of uh, skiing was best for France. All right, interesting. Like, they, I think it's right, though. You know, I perceive things a lot differently. I, I've been to some really small resorts and you think, oh, this is going to be rubbish. I've spent, you know, I spent winters in the Three Valleys and I'm going to turn up at this small resort and it's just going to, not going to compare. I mean, obviously, the, the, the hugeness doesn't compare. But, you know, you have a nice time and it's a perfectly good ski experience. So, yeah, maybe, maybe it is true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, there was one other um, bit of information in there. Um, looking at sources of info how people kind of research their uh, holiday. Apparently, podcasts is right at the top of the list. People are listening to podcasts to research their holiday, are they? Uh, well, no. Actually, that's not true. But I'm pretty sure that everyone who listens to this podcast uh, pays uh, attention. It's family and friends. That's the, uh, the main thing that people listen to. But I think give it another year and podcasts will be in the top five things that are their sources of info, undoubtedly. I mean, some people do treat us like family. I've read some of the emails and, you know, they're pretty close. They're pretty, um, you know, personal. Well, I think that's how. Is that not how our podcast works? We chat, we talk to you, listener, listener gets involved and it's all family and friends. Yeah, I think that's probably about right. Um, also at List XE, and I'm interested, what is new? What What is the new thing in skiing? Well, they have a feature Anything? at List X called Dragon's Den where, uh, you know, people with new products can present like they do on that TV programme uh, to a bunch of um, you know, investors. I'm not sure any of them are genuine investors, but they are people who've kind of run businesses in the industry. And there is actually one guy there, Dom Killinger, who we've interviewed on the podcast before, who's a publisher of In the Snow, who actually has been on Dragon's Den in, in real life. Uh, can't remember what the product was then, probably publishing of some description. But there was something that I knew that you would really like, uh, I did send you a link to it. It's called the Zook. Did you have a look? I did look. Yeah, yeah I did. Thanks. Thanks for that. Yeah, it's a, a very, you know, another one of these incredible innovations that's going to allow you to walk in your ski boots in a comfortable way. What did you why, think? Why, Ian? Why can't people just walk in ski boots, though? <laughs> what is their problem? Because <laughs> um, they're really is rigid a... and bumpy and it's awkward. Yeah, but it's it's manageable. People seem to do it. Like this product, this product is ridiculous. I'm going to say it, Ian. <laughs> you, it is. You've got to screw. First of all, you have to screw holes into your ski boots. Yeah. So, in my thinking, that people, the people who can't walk in ski boots, aren't the sort of people that own <laughs> ski boots to ski to drill holes in it. You can't drill holes in higher boots and take them back and go. Oh, I'm sorry, I couldn't walk in them. It's the sort of people that would buy these um, boots have. These these add-ons to boots have no need to it. Like the people who who need ability to walk better in ski boots are people who hire them 
and go one year at a time and they probably once a week in a time in a year and they they probably just have ski in ski out holidays anyway they don't need it <laughs> i think the sort of people who might need this are people who are living or are near resorts who park in the car park probably a bit like me but in reality wouldn't be seen dead with any of these <laughs> maybe maybe someone on holiday in zermatt could do with these because you have to walk quite a long way yeah and then what the other thing Ian, i think you need to really think hard about is who spends the most time in ski boots lifties and ski instructors have you ever seen a lifty or a ski instructor <laughs> with a special attachment no you haven't case closed these are a waste of money don't buy them also well, if it was important yeah, surely were, manufacturers so, so, would have done something by now yeah so just kind of like reading around the lines there would i say that you're out on this one yeah not invested in i don't want these did anyone invest in them no, and someone else did say, look, you know, it doesn't work if you're going to have to screw them in. But you've got a very good point. You know, the the more regular uh, type of skier is not the sort of person who's going to be wanting to drill holes in their ski boot, assuming they own their ski boot anyway. Um, but OK, there you go. We'll pass on that one. Uh, so that was that was Listex, you know, interesting, entertaining, good to chat to people about the industry and uh yeah, over for another free, year. Free wine. <laughs> um, right, so this is, I've got, an, well, I haven't, you have. Here's an interview with someone who doesn't need any walking aids at all. She's perfectly capable of walking along um, in her own boots. Right, I'm here today with Corrine uh, uh, Mayhew. Um, or should I be calling you Cosa? I'm not really too sure about that. You tell me. <laughs> totally up to you Cosa or Cos or Corin, whatever you fancy okay well the reason we're uh, having a chat is um a couple of weeks ago in fact it was uh in episode 39 of uh, the ski podcast uh, I interviewed Emily Sarsfield who was doing or is running a uh, women only ladies only ski camp in Maribel and I didn't realize till after the end of the conversation there's actually a uh, women only snowboard camp also organised by Ticket to Ride, also in the uh, in the same chalet, I think, but it's going to be like the week before next year, and you're going to be one of the uh, one of the organisers or instructors there. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, so we've done it probably I think three years now, and this will be the fourth year coming up. Um, and it's just a really nice week. Everyone gets together and everyone's got a great chat, and we do a bit of yoga, a bit of. Um, like well obviously lots of snowboarding um a little bit of nights out yeah it's just a really nice yeah. week okay and what's your on. what's your kind of background then uh cosa i'm gonna i'm gonna get used um, to that well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well i'm an independent snowboard coach so i'm based in teen and val normally but i do travel to lots of other resorts as well um, and work for various teams or work for private clients um and yeah so obviously this week with the the ladies with tickets to ride it's a really nice sort of way to end yeah. out the season now i think maybe maybe you're being a, a bit modest there because i i did do a little <laughs> bit of research and according to what i read are, are you the first british female snowboarder to get basie level four is that right um well it's yeah it's quite i mean anyone who does the Bayesie sort of pathway probably knows it's very difficult there's lots of hoops to jump through and they keep sort of adding extra hoops right okay <laughs> um so i think there's quite a few of the women that have passed it um but i think since they added 
quite a few extra exams. I think I was the first one to right. go through on well, that. Well, congratulations yeah. on that. And you've got Thank all you. sorts of other, you know, freestyle and off-piste uh, uh, qualifications as well, right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Mm. So back yeah. in the day, you also, like, competed as well, is that right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it, sounds, it sounds a lot more um, exciting, but really it was just, you know, a fun competition with our friends. Um, right. things like the Brits are really good fun you know you know you know lots of people there um I quite enjoy I still compete in some of the free ride world qualifier events do you and again right. that's just really fun with your friends I yeah. like the idea you think that's fun that's free ride so that <laughs> that is um you know we're not going to talk about the park here we're talking about kind of big mountain descents right yeah, that's right. Yeah, so you have kind of judges sitting at the bottom of a big open face, and it's up to you where you want to go and yeah, how no, you want to tackle that I've been that to course. Um, yeah. Free Ride World Tour in uh, Chamonix and watched it live oh, okay. uh, yeah. before, um, as well as I've also been to see uh, the ride uh, when um, when Warren Miller of uh, Warren Miller Warren Smith used to organise that in, uh, in Verbier. Um, and you know, great events. So wow, huge credit to you because there's never <laughs> an easy slope in any of those. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's always just good fun, though, like you say, you know, with your friends and nice places. Sure. And I mean, is that, that, I get the feeling that that's the ethos of the um, of the women only camp, snowboarding camp that you do, because you, you, you don't I don't want to give the wrong impression here. It's not aimed at, um, you know, aspiring professionals per se, is it? No, um, it's just aimed at women who they've reached a certain level shall we say in their riding and then maybe they don't have other women to ride with that, that are at a similar level to them so we tend to get um mums who have had a few years out maybe they've done a couple of seasons and then they've gone off to have children and then they've come back to snowboarding but their only opportunity really is to go snowboarding with their family and then they don't feel that they get to enjoy their holiday in the way that they would normally. That's actually really leave. interesting because I don't know if you listened to the Emily Sarsfield interview, but that's really one of the things that she uh, she said as well. Yeah. It's you know, really nice to have a holiday on your own where you don't have to be thinking about the family the whole time. Yeah, and also where you can be quite selfish and think, right, how do I want to progress in my snowboarding? This is the perfect opportunity to develop my riding, you know? So, yeah. But with a few laughs, obviously, a few giggles along the way. <laughs> yeah, and you um, you don't do the camp or coach the camp on your own. Uh, you have a co-patriot, compatriot. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the first, well, it's actually the whole camp was devised by my good friend Katie Blundell, who right. had a similar situation where she devised the camp and then found that she was expecting a child. So she couldn't join us for the first couple of years which was right. a shame, but it also meant that we had Jenny Jones come and join us instead for those first couple of years, which is great. Yeah, and not then a bad Kate, sub. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then Katie joined us last year, um, so she came back in, and it was really great to have her on board because obviously it was her baby. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, so she she provided the evening entertainment as well as obviously inspiring the ladies on the hill and giving them some extra tips and, yeah, some yeah, she's good for the giggles, is Katie. <laughs> cool. And I noticed as well, looking at um, you know, all the stuff available, something that stood out to me. Uh, you there's a is there a Nikita goodie bag or something oh, for yeah. people attending? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Nikita's really, really amazing at promoting women's snowboarding. They 
promote women skiing as well, but they've I think they are sort of born from snowboarders. Um and it's yeah, they've got really cool clothes and accessories and things that they like to give away and yeah, so all the ladies that come on the camp win prizes and get a good goodie bag. And, yeah. Yeah, it's nice. Cool. Well, you make it sound like a lot of fun. Now I've got a question, you know, I, you know, I try to be as woke as I can, but um, it, it's listed as a girls' snowball camp. Okay. But we also described, uh, um, uh, when I was talking to Emily Sarsfield, as a ladies-only ski camp, or it could be a women-only <laughs> snowball camp. So what's the answer here? To make, make me as PC as I can be, you know, is there a distinction between them? I'd say, I don't know, I'd say... I'd say it's a women's snowboard camp, just in that ladies has that connotation of it being a bit sort of prim and proper, and there's nothing prim and proper about it. <laughs> We're all falling on our faces and rolling around right. in the snow and trying silly tricks and, you know, yeah, just having a go. So I guess, yeah, it's definitely a women's camp. <laughs> um, cool. But yeah. There's definitely okay. Yeah. Well, now, now, now I know the answer <laughs> to that one. I will I'll, uh, go back and edit any previous references okay. and get that uh, get that right. <laughs> cool. Well, that's really good to speak to you, Cosa. I think the uh, the camp. Have you got the dates for it for for twenty twenty? Uh, yeah, it's the twenty fourth. I think isn't it this year? A little bit earlier than previously. Hold on, hold on. I've actually got the page. Twenty first. Twenty first. Twenty first of March. So the twenty twenty eighth of March, which um and it's in Mirabel and it's a catered catered chalet, yeah. So everything's all your foods included, right. etc. Yeah, the chalet is really nice, and they always have a lovely couple that of uh, people that that look after us, and they provide the um, evening meals and hearty breakfasts, and a lovely hot tub and lots of bubbles before dinner and all that kind of thing. So yeah, it's a really nice, really nice week. Cool. Okay, well, if they want to find more, I'll put a link in the uh, in the show notes or they can go to ticket2ridegroup.com oh. and they'll see the info on there as well. Um, thank you very much for your time, Cosa. Um, I obviously won't be attending the camp, but I look forward to hearing uh, how, it, how it goes. <laughs> You can uh, put the all... wig on and see if you can sneak in. <laughs> yeah, and all the best <laughs> to you and you and Katie for, for this winter. Oh, thank you very much, Ian. Lovely to speak to you. There we go. That was an interesting uh, interview, Ian. Um, what a nice lady. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, uh, chatting to her. You can, you can kind of tell uh, why people would have fun on, uh, on that week away. Um, she's clearly got a lot of personality. Yeah, bags of it. And um, yeah, I mean, if I, was a, if I was a woman, I'd probably go on one of those trips. Okay, so I asked, I asked Koza, you know, where she fell on the ladies versus women versus girls uh kind of camp side of things because i wanted to be you know as uh, as right on as i could have you got a view on that at all um yeah i do you know what i had to re-listen to that part of the interview because i did think um i was doing something at the same time which you know you shouldn't do but that's what the point of podcast is so you can do other things while you listen to informative chat um i thought you said um I want to be as woke as possible. And I had to re-listen to make sure that you didn't say that because I probably would have had to cut it out. <laughs> I did. I was very excited that I got that word into the interview. You did say woke? Yeah. Oh, my word. <laughs> um, I'll leave it in then. Right. So um, I think, yeah, I think she was spot on. Yeah, ladies. Uh, ladies does seem formal, you know. So women is about right. Girls seems a bit... I mean, it doesn't bother me. What would you prefer? Would you go on a boy's trip, a lad's trip, or a gentleman's trip, or a man's trip? 
Um, what would be the difference? A boys' trip, you'd expect, you know, uh, that's building Lego in it. Lads' trip, that's like a stag do. Um, uh, gentleman's trip, you'd be expected to ski. That's a lot of lunching, isn't it? And um, <laughs> having brandies at the, by the fireplace, <laughs> I suppose. And what was the last one I said? Yeah, well, I don't think he said, a, a man's, he said the last a one. Man's, a man's ski trip. Yeah, that's, maybe, that's, maybe that's a hiking, building, yeah. making your own skis, drilling holes into yeah. your boots to attach walking things. That that sounds like the one. I, you know, I, I'm on the ski touring, hiking, refuges type of uh, trip rather than the... It is a man's trip. You have to stay in sheds and everything. <laughs> exactly. Man sheds on your trip. Now, that's assuming you've got people to, who you can... Um, that you can go away with over the weekend? Because I think someone asked us a question. We've got moving on to the Ask Jim and Ian uh, feature, which we uh, regularly have. Someone asked us think a question it, I think about... it needs a jingle, Ian. Oh, have we got a jingle? No, we haven't. I oh, think I'm okay. going to say, I think it might it could one. do with me. Uh, ask Jim and Ian. Someone asked a trip about single travellers. Um, do you know who that was? Uh... I forgot his name, but I've got his email here right in front of me if you want me to uh, read it out. Oh, OK. Um, his name was Zed. Zed? Z-E-I-D. Zed. Zed, like in uh, Pulp Fiction. Hopefully not. Zed. Zed's dead, baby. Um, right. Uh, it says, I'm writing to you from a hometown where it sounds I'm surrounded by beach, clear turquoise waters and temperatures of 30 degrees. But all I can think about are those powder days and freezing temperatures. The wait for winter has been a little less unbearable as I binge listen to most of your podcast. It's getting very Steve Wright again, isn't it? Um, <laughs> he stumbled across it on his Spotify. Thanks very much for creating a great podcast. But there's a question. Guess where I'm writing this email from? Um, can you guess where he's writing that email from, Ian? Well, he's got 30 degrees and a beach. Could be yeah. lots of places, particularly this well, summer. He's a 12-hour flight from Europe, he says, so it's quite tricky to get skiing. Um, last year, he managed to convince eight friends to go with him and had a wonderful time in Val Turenne. This year, no one wants to go with him. Uh, that's quite sad, said. Um, uh, mostly because of the budget. Ah, oh, phew, I thought it was because you weren't very good fun. Um, it, the flights cost quite a lot of money, um, around about £1,200 um, to Europe. So he thought he'd send an email and see if we've got any tips for solo ski travellers. Is it worth it? Or can you recommend any, recommend any groups that he can ski with yeah. um, got any answers to that Ian um, yeah I mean it, certainly when I used to work in reservations for Bladen Dines which was quite a few years ago every now and then you'd get someone ringing in saying oh uh, you know I'm looking for a, a, like a male share and uh, the chalet company would let people book into a twin room and one person could book in and then another single person could book in later and you could share a room I don't even know if that still exists anymore but some chalet companies do have single rooms. There's not many of them. You used to work in sales for uh, for someone or other, didn't you? Did you ever get uh, people asking about single rooms? Yeah, yeah, quite a lot. Um, my advice would be is go direct. Don't go through an agent. Um, literally, you'll get passed around as some sort of joke. No one wants... No one. Agents have no incentive to book... Um, a single traveller there's it's um like twice as much work for them 
and there's hardly any reward. Sad, sales sadly, agent. that is exactly what happened in our office. When you worked out that uh, there was someone who was a male share on the phone, you would say to them something like, look, let me just put you through to uh, our specialist in this and you pass a call on to one of your colleagues and get rid of it. Because <laughs> you're paid on commission and you'd be selling one holiday as opposed to the next call could be someone wanting to book a chalet for 10, which would Absolutely. be 10 times more valuable but the same amount of time. So don't yeah. call an agency. People, unscrupulous people like us used to be working there and, and don't want to talk to you. Um, I'm sure no one like that works there anymore. No, no, it can't be like that. Uh, and instead, lots of hotels have single rooms. Yeah, hotels um, single rooms. Like you say, there's lots of agents, um, lots of tour operators have got single rooms. Um, but you need to either book early before that single room goes to grandma, who's going with the family, or wait to the very last minute. Um, yes. And book book direct when the ski operator wants to fill the room and they're happy to waive that single supplement fee yeah so would, i think would, for zed then i would say low season and go at the last minute that might affect his uh, long-haul flight cost but his ski holiday costs would be much less do check out ski world they're pretty good i think they do what you were talking about the mail share they've got a special page devoted to single travelers oh, good knowledge um, they have got a number of single rooms as well um, if I mean a few years ago, I would know which to, which particular person it would be hilarious to refer you to, um, but sadly I don't anymore. Um, but also there are websites. There's a company called um, uh, SkiGathering.com. They organise loads and loads of single ski trips for adults, um, over fifties, under fifties, all sorts of stuff. And if you, you know, the other way to go about it is if you want to do it a bit more independently. Go on Snowheads or on Facebook Ski Club, put a post up, and there's plenty of um, uh, single travellers who want to um, meet up and yeah. go skiing with like-minded yeah. people. That's actually a really good idea, and Snowheads organise a couple of trips a year. And I've, I also used to work with a company um, called Solos Holidays, who, as you might, there's a clue in the name, isn't there? They uh, specialise in single ski trips as well. It's a, it's a weird thing, isn't it, single travelling? Because uh, in your head, it's, it's you know, when you're young, it's quite an easy thing to joke about, going, oh, he's a single traveller. <laughs> but it's really tricky sometimes to find someone to go skiing with. You know, there's dates that you want to go. Um, you know, it is an expensive thing for some people who don't want to spend it or rather go um, snowboarding or, I'm um, sorry, to a beach holiday. It's quite a tricky thing sometimes to get people to go on a ski trip with you so you know as i've grown older in what i'm trying to say is i've got more sympathy for the single traveler yeah you would do, you um, would never I, pass off that call again if you happen to be working in uh, ski sales uh no i, I don't think i'd say that again. Yeah. it's still about the we'll, money we'll put sales. that link to the ski world page and solos holidays uh, in the show notes so thanks for your question zed um, there was another question from someone, Ian, um, who was asking for more Japan features. Is that right? Yes, Frank Zaffari. Zaffari. He asked on Facebook if you if we had any Japan features, and we did actually feature uh, Niseko in episode thirty-two. That was when you interviewed uh, Dave, wasn't it? Yep, I only interviewed people called Dave. That's my rule. <laughs> well. I think you've broken that rule, haven't you? Because didn't you interview, have you interviewed Mike? 
Yes, I've interviewed uh, someone with Mike, but fortunately his name has only got four letters, which is my other rule. Okay, well, Mike, we uh, I've interviewed before about Montenegro in episode 39 and about skiing in Georgia, 37, and he clearly has a wonderful life because you've interviewed him about Japan. Mike, you're here to talk to me uh, about the Hukuba Valley area in uh, Japan. Uh, it's on the centre island of... Um, centre of the islands and the main Alps and they call it it's called the Japanese Alps I believe it's 300 kilometers northwest of Tokyo it was the host of the 1998 winter games and this area this valley we're talking about I believe um, has 10 ski resorts down uh, down the valley and boasting like 11 meters of snow so let's talk about that Mike when you flew there and you or you, when you arrived in the Hokuba Valley, what was your first impressions of the place? Uh, it's very impressive. I'd, I'd actually flown down from Hokkaido, which is fairly rolling hills with a few um, impressive peaks. Uh, well, when I came down... And that's where you used to live, wasn't well, it? I mean, yeah, and I still visit every winter uh, to Hokkaido to work and to play. Um, so we flew down from Hokkaido into Tokyo, caught the, uh, the Shinkansen, the bullet train from Tokyo to Nagano, which was the host city for the 98 Olympics, as you said. And then from Nagano, which is um, similar to some of the, the, the towns in the valley uh, in Europe. And then from there, you have to go to the mountains and such, which is about another 45 minutes to an hour. But on the, the entrance into the Hakaba Valley, you certainly felt that you were in an alpine um, and an alpine valley, an alpine surrounding with very jagged peaks um, and very different from what's available on Hokkaido. And how long ago were you there? Um, I was there three winters ago. And so which, um, out of these um, multiple places that you could ski, um, which ones did you did you attempt or did you go to the, all of them? We didn't hit all of them. We saw all of them. We went, uh, when we arrived, at, um, as most people do, you kind of arrive in the afternoon. So we had a little bit of a scout around and sort of saw which ones would appeal to us just by the eye and then having spoken with people. Um, and we ended up skiing three resorts, my, my Pali and I. Uh, we were at Hapo One, uh, which looks like Hapo One, when you look at it. And One is the way you pronounce it, O-N-E. Um, Iwakate and uh, Sagayake, um, and a lot of the names are quite uh, difficult to get your mouth around, to be honest. Um, so, obviously, the big question is, what's the ski skiing like? That's why you primarily went. Um, how big are the resorts? Um, you know, are they challenging in any way? Very much so. Um, there's always been this rivalry between the Hakuba Valley um, on Honshu, on the main island, and the Nisiko area on Hokkaido, um, and the Nisigo gets more snow, and Hakuba, everybody feels there's more challenge. And certainly within resort, um, there are a few longer runs and a few steeper pitches, but really the the scenery you see and the stuff you see on uh, the videos and the films that come out from that area, it's the side country and the back country where you get these very dramatic, almost Alaskan-looking faces, very fluted, very runnelled with deep snow. So the, the resorts themselves um, are resorts. You know, they're not wild in any stretch of the imagination. They'd be more like uh, some of the Colorado resorts rather than, say, uh, Jackson Hole. Okay. And how deep into this, into the backcountry, did you personally get, or did you kind of, you were there for a short time, so you didn't get to experience enough? We were there for a short time. Sorry to talk over you. We were there for a short time, um, so we didn't really... Um, have an opportunity time-wise plus it was absolutely chucking it down with snow the whole time we were there so it wasn't safe to go into the backcountry 
with a guide or without a guide because of the snow hadn't settled and navigation would have been quite difficult. So you'd kind of kind of wait for those periods of high pressure like you do in the Alps. Snow had to settle to make it safe and then navigation becomes very easy. But the access to uh, the, the back country and the side country from each of the individual resorts is very but easy. Is it, is it true that this non-stop snow, that's quite a, a common theme that happens there or is that just a myth? No, it's it's quite true. I mean, on Hokkaido, um, would be more um, like the weather patterns for the western United Kingdom, the western part of Ireland, where there's a s- slow, steady accumulation of, of precipitation over an extended period, whereas Central Europe gets heavy dumps, and then there's clear high pressure comes through, followed by heavy dumps. And, and the Hakuba Valley is in that latter um, sort of example where they can get one to two metres overnight, but then it may not snow then for uh, four or five days. And then you might get a cycle where it might snow for four or five days in a row. And then you might not have anything for three or four days. Whereas Hokkaido is less volume in each snowfall, but it snows pretty much every day. So a little bit of a difference, but they, they don't suffer from having no snow. There's plenty of it, that's for sure. And then obviously, when you're gonna, if you're going to travel there, you want to actually ski. So there's obviously a high chance of um, poor viz or, you know, um, difficult conditions uh, there's a helicopter going over my house right now um poor conditions um, is there lots of tree runs and you know uh, is there you can still ski right there's plenty of time and um, ability to get up on the mountain absolutely it's um, where that sort of side country back country more difficult alpine terrain starts is where the resort lifts finish so even in when it's dumping down with snow um there's visibility because you've either got tree lined runs or you've got tree accessible areas or accessible areas, two trees, pardon me, um, where you can have great visibility and clarity no matter how hard it's snowing. So it, it never closes as such. Okay, cool. Um, it sounds like it's pretty good fun. Um, how happy does it make you skiing in, in that sort of area? Oh, it's brilliant. I mean, it's the, the one great thing um, that separates... When, when British skiers started, myself included, started leaving Europe and going to North America, one of the great things uh, was that you didn't have to go to a different part of the mountain to access non-pisted terrain. It was right beside you. It was safe. It was patrolled. It was monitored. And the in-resort terrain um, on both in the Hakuba Valley is very much in that sense, in the North American sense. So if you are a comfortable peace skier who's had a little bit of a dabble with off-peace skiing, then the world is your oyster in these environments because there's so much terrain, there's so many resorts in this one valley, there's so much snowfall on a regular basis, not enough people skied it out compared with other places, that you can really progress and feel comfortable and safe at the same time, knowing that you're not too far away from the piece. You can almost see it. You can ski parallel to it, whether it's in trees or open bowl areas, and then scoot your way back. So in that sense, it, it's an ideal um, holiday for strong intermediates who are looking to explore a little bit more of the mountain but without having to have a guide and equipment and a whole gang of experience. So one thing I'm keen to explore about um, going and travelling skiing is that it's not just about skiing obviously that is a huge part of it but what else is the what's what's what makes um, this Japanese experience um, even more special that's kind of away from the slopes what what else is there that 
makes it so. So the normal gateways coming into Honshu on the main island there are Haneda and Narita, which are the two airports outside of Tokyo, the city. Um, and some people decide to spend time in Tokyo before going to the mountains because you have to take an overnight flight from uh, from the west. So you'd leave, say, you know, roughly mid-afternoon to evening from the United Kingdom, from London, and you wouldn't arrive until the early hours of the following day. So you kind of lose a night's sleep in that sense. So most, some people will say, okay, well, I'll, I'll hole up in the city for a couple of days, get over the travel aspect of things, be experienced the, the wild and the wacky of Japan and the fast paced life of Japan, then go to the mountains. And some people do it the opposite way. And depending, it doesn't matter which way you do it, that does a personal preference, but doing those kind of things where you're combining a city visit, Tokyo, Kyoto, Osaka, with the mountains, gives you a very different ski experience. It would be similar to, say, flying to um, Chicago or New York and then going on to the mountains where you have this you know, very legitimate um, experience or fly or go to Paris and then go into the French Alps, that sort of thing. And then you've you got the combination, the best of both worlds, right? because you've got everything that a city like Tokyo has to offer as well as world-class skiing. Okay, cool. Um, now, while we're talking about travelling, um, one of the reasons that we are talking about this is because Ingham's is um, moving into the, the Japanese market and it's just starting doing trips to the Hokkaido Valley area. Uh, I know you've got a few opinions on it, Mike. What do you think about this um, trip that you can get with um, I think it's a great initiative on Ingham's part. Um, they're a good company. I've travelled with them. I travelled recently in um, Last March, uh, just gone, I went to, to Cortina with them and it, and it was a great experience. A lot of people are very critical of the, the tour operator experience, but in terms of what they put together, it's great. And going to somewhere like um, Japan, where the language isn't a problem, but it is it's difficult in a sense. It's not insurmountable, but uh, there will always be somebody that can help you with the language. But if you haven't traveled um, extensively to a non-speaking, English-speaking country, then having the help of other people around you is obviously a bonus. And the one thing I would say is whilst they put together a great package in terms of the flights, the transfers, um, the accommodation, lift pass and what have you, they've kind of gone, whereas we, I would suggest and others who've been to this area would suggest having, say, seven days in resort and three days in one of the cities. Um, they've kind of gone and done a seven-day total holiday and broken it up into a two and five or a three and four split, which I don't think one seven days traveling from the United Kingdom is too short. You'd be very you losing a day as you as you go fly over, um, and they're kind of expecting you to go to Tokyo beforehand or Kyoto beforehand, um, and explore that city when you basically just come off the plane, which I don't think you'll get the best out of it. Um, and then you're only having a five day lift ticket and five day skiing in the Hakuba Valley and when you look at how much terrain they have how many different um, base stations and resorts they're not linked it's a little bit like the Chamonix Valley in that sense you, there's a couple where you can ski from one to the other but pretty much you're coming back down to the valley floor then taking a shuttle bus and then going to the next resort um, so you know you could literally do 10 days there and ski a different resort every day they're not massive but for one day's worth of skiing that's more than enough so I think the it's a great initiative by Ingham's, but I don't think they've got the time frame correct. Yeah, it does sound quite exhausting, um, uh, packing so much into 
a short trip, especially with a long haul flight, either end of it. Um, but yeah, we'll see how that fares. Mike, thank you so much for talking about your experience in Japan with me. I really enjoyed it. Um, next time, can you come back and tell me what it's like to ski in Wales? I will. That's uh, hopefully there's fingers crossed. The uh, the models are showing that there might be snow on September the thirtieth in the central Beacons area on Penavan. So fingers crossed. By the time I speak to you next, I've already made first tracks for the winter. I'm assuming that you don't go for a lift, right? No, no. It's all it's all walking up and skiing down. Um, and as the old Jersey right says, when it's good, it's very very good, and when it's bad, it's horrible. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about that next time it snows. All right. Great. Look forward to it. So the reason that we set up that interview that we just listened to, Ian, was because Ingham's are now offering um, Japan ski trips to the Hukaba area. Like Mike was pretty um, clear that he doesn't think that the trip is long enough if you're booking a package trip to the Hukaba ski area. Um, but other than that, seems like a good trip. Will you go, Ian? I won't go um maybe one day i will go but at the moment i'm cutting down on uh my flights and particularly oh yeah let's talk about that i wanted I, 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 I skipped past that when we were talking about list x look it was under my notes it said what's new question mark and then we went we talked about zook and really i wanted to ask you <laughs> about your launch of ski fright flea Ski Flight Free. Yeah, that's it. Ski Flight Free. Well, it's a campaign that I started um, a couple of weeks ago, and I've launched it at uh, a couple of events now and had some good response. And essentially, I'm trying to encourage people to uh, to travel by either train or a fully loaded car uh, when they go on their skiing holiday. So I'm not saying to people, you know, ski less. What I'm saying is when you do go skiing, See if you can travel by alternative means rather than flying. And I appreciate that that's not going to fit into everyone's lives. You know, sometimes people don't have enough time. There's, you know, sometimes a cost factor, etc. But I think, you know, everybody now is aware of uh, the issue that we have with carbon emissions and we've got to cut them. And uh, this is the single easiest way as an individual to make a difference to uh, reduce the number of flights you take. So Ski Flight Free, have a look. SkiFlightFree.org org and it was your daughter that guilted you into this right or it was... <laughs> uh, well she did go on a couple of climate change marches on Fridays and you know she, I, I was saying to her look you can't just keep taking uh, every Friday off school uh, in the long run it's not going to work so we kind of sat down and had a family meeting and we were discussing you know what as a family we could do to have more impact on our carbon emissions and and yeah you know it came out of that so couple of schoolgirls influenced me. One is my daughter and obviously the other is Greta Thunberg, who's a massive influence on everyone. So if you wanted to ski in Japan, you'd be on a on a cruise liner, not a cruise liner, like a cargo ship for a week or two. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying it's, it's, it's impossible, but I think you need to look at, you know, carbon, everyone's kind of individual carbon budget. And I certainly... You know, maybe I might do a long haul flight every couple of years, but maybe I won't. Maybe we won't go again. I mean, I actually have family living in Australia, so I have to kind of budget that into the into my long haul flights at some point. Yeah, but you could go vegan and offset it or something like that. It was crazy, that statistic, wasn't it? Something like 10% of the UK population um, account for 50% of all flights. Yeah, now that is a really good stat, and I saw that stat uh, uh, last week, and yeah. But what I found amazing about it was 48% of British people don't fly at all. 
I mean, it really is frequent flights. And so you think a lot of people who are travelling and going skiing, you know, there will be an opportunity. They're going out several times during the season or, you know, they're taking lots of, you know, city breaks and this and that. It's got to be possible to uh, replace one of those flights with a train journey. And simply by doing that, you've cut your emissions uh, straight away. Yeah, or you could go a bit more extreme like I did. And I was feeling so guilty about um, all the transport I was taking to and from the Alps. I just moved here. Right, OK, yeah, that's one way around it, isn't it? <laughs> that's how I sold it to my family. Yeah. Uh, I think we have had um, some reviews, haven't we? Yes, we have had some reviews. Quite a few reviews, I think. Um, you've got one. There's, there's one. Let's go back to Dave. And you recorded this review at um, the ski, the Listex, the Listex, Listex. Okay. So, Tom, I'm, I'm here with David Froome, who uh, regular long-time listeners to the podcast will recognise him because he's uh, spoken to us before about uh, skiing in Japan and also he had a big adventure with Jim on the Eurostar to Les Arts. Indeed we did, yeah. And um, did you just say to me that, you know, you think that the response has been pretty good when you've been on the podcast? Uh, it's been it's been positive because I have had at least one, possibly two people call me, um, mention that they heard of me on the podcast um, and proceeded to inquire. Uh, what I couldn't tell you, because you've only just asked me this question, is whether or not they actually booked. I'd need to look that up. I'm, I'm pretty certain they did book. So Almost basically you're saying massive, appearing on a ski podcast is great for business. Massive high-value bookings, <laughs> almost guaranteed. Yeah. Excellent. That's brilliant. There you go. So if you're thinking about um, appearing on the podcast, do get in touch. You know, one whole sale, that's pretty good, isn't it? I think that's a, a really good. You know, uh, that's, a, that's a positive ROI because we didn't charge him anything for it. So, you know, he's done uh, really well from that exposure and other advertisers can do well as well. There we go. What else is there? Uh, oh, Dan- Zed. Zed. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's go back to Zed. He said, thank you so much for creating this podcast. And, you know, I think I think I might write that on my wall. That's a beautiful thing. Oh, and to go back to Zed's question, Ian, um, where do you think he comes from? Oh, um, like Dubai or something? Uh, no, further. Singapore? Singapore? He comes from Mauritius. Oh, oh, Mauritius. Really? He comes from Mauritius. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, um, okay. That's, that's great. We have listeners all over the place. We've got a... Uh, another review from Danny Mays, who says, love the podcast. He actually also says it would be great to hear something about Andorra or the Pyrenees, as he's off there in February. Um, I can refer him on to uh, episode 9 and episode 33, if you have a look at the skipodcast.com, where we've, uh, uh, there was a report some different trips I've done to the Pyrenees. I'm also going to the Pyrenees again in February this year, so I guess by about episode What's that going to be? About 50. There'll be a, another one. Uh, Whereabouts in the Pyrenees you going? I'm going to go back to Cauteray. I went to Cauteray a couple of years ago, I think it was, and, you know, really, really liked it there. And in fact, it's my, my premise is that you can take a family skiing in the Pyrenees for not, without breaking the bank uh, at, by, and skiing at half term. So I'm going to test that out. Um, yeah, I really liked um, Cauteray as well. So yeah, check that out, Danny. Course, My wife he well, tells me. You, yeah. yeah, yeah. My wife says it's the, uh, been her favourite ever ski trip. Considering well, the snow wasn't that great, we went like literally the last week. Yeah, excellent. Uh, and also um, Hannah James, I think this was via Facebook as well. She said, love the podcast. 
She was listening to uh, our last episode, was episode 40. We talk about motorhomes in uh, ski resorts. And she is a specialist in it. And she even has her own uh, blog, which I had a look at. Did you have a look at their blog? I did have a quick peek, yes. Yeah, winterized. Uh, that's winterised.com, uh, where her and her partner have been travelling around the Alps, well, all of last winter. Uh, and that's quite interesting, watching them trying to find some electricity to plug in uh, in different places. But, um, yeah, if you're interested in, in motorhoming and ski resorts, have a look at uh, her, her blog, their website. Well, we've actually arranged um, she's going to be on the show in the next few months at ah, some point. Nice um, work, She's going to tell us all about her experiences as well. Cool. That came through our, our Facebook page. Do you know what, Ian? There was another one on Facebook as well. From, oh, yeah. Um, uh, is it Andrew Bannon who asked yes. a question about ski length? And he he's asked another question, but he also wanted to say to Dave, the other Dave, the ski instructor Dave, that yep. he found that um, answer very interesting. Aha, that was also episode 40, wasn't it? He was talking about what length skis should you have. Yes, that's right. Yeah, cool. So there we go. A lot of love for the podcast this month. Well, I'm delighted because <laughs> we spent loads of time doing it. <laughs> uh, you might, Ian. I just turn up and wing it. <laughs> Right, um, we're nearly done, Ian. But let's yeah. talk about what's coming, what's happening. So you're going to be going to the ski show the next. When is it next week? The week uh, a couple of weeks. It's actually the end of uh, October. The the ski and snowboard festival. Don't forget. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's exactly like the show always used to be, but now it's called a festival. And I had a really close look through, you know, the website, and as far as I can see, there isn't anything new in it at all. It's all what? kind of the same as uh, other years. Oh, you're so dis- you're so negative, Ian. It says Serrano finds is new. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm going to say he is he is nearly eighty. He is not new. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I would I would go and watch. I would go and listen to a Serrano finds books. I mean, um, talk. I've read a few of his books, um, and they're fairly interesting. So I imagine he's got a few interesting stories to tell. Yeah. Well, I've contacted their I've contacted their PR company. And I contacted the organisers of the show to, you know, reach out to try and find out a bit more about it. And I haven't heard it back uh, anything from either of them. So oh. I would take from that that uh, either they're being very shy uh, or they don't realise the massive impact that the uh, ski podcast has with, uh, with us talking to you, listener, or that they don't have anything new to say. One of those three things. Or we were so rude about it this time last year that they don't want to talk to us. I don't think we were. I think we were quite positive about it uh, last year. I mean, I really enjoy it. And, you know, just because there's nothing new doesn't mean it's not worth uh, going to. Um, I think it's a great way to kind of get excited and start uh, off the season. And I love the fact that, you know, it's the only consumer show uh, these days. And, you know, people love it. They get to see, well, they'll get to see some of the Olympians, you know, aspiring and British riders, you know, whether they want to go and spend money buying lots of equipment and is another issue, but they can you know, find out more about destinations. You know, it's a it's a, a great event. It just hasn't really changed for years. I think it's getting a bit more interactive than it used to be, which I think is a good thing. I'm also I'm really pleased. I looked at the um, exhibitor list, Ian, and yeah. uh, it's. You know, it seems to be shorter than last year, but I'm glad to see that there is a return of Helmet Heads, the UK's largest collection of helmet covers, ears and mohawks and other fun accessories. I'm glad that stool's back. OK, is there any particular it, one? Look cool, be me... safe, get seen. Yeah, is there any one that you want me to look out for and kind of set aside for you while I'm there? No, no. 
No, I mean, if you happen to, you know, spill some lighter fluid and <laughs> set the stool on fire. <laughs> right, you really think it's... That'd be, uh, a good, that'd be a good story. Right, that would be a t- horrific story, but I, I, don't think I, I don't think I'll be... Yeah, I don't think I'll go that far. Yeah, it might boost our visibility as a podcast. Um, it's £20 to get in for adults, um, so do go. If you do go, send us your review. We'd like to know what you think of it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to the High Five Festival tomorrow, Ian. Yes, Saturday, actually. we talked about that before. It's in Annecy, isn't it? That. Yeah, 64 winter sport movies, including some shown on the lakefront, open air. Looking forward to that. Yeah, do you think There's, that um, locals in Annecy go, oh, it's a, high, <clears throat> it's a High Five Festival again, nothing's changed since last year, it's not really that exciting? I think it's been going for this is its ninth year, and I imagine they're probably saying, "Oh yeah, look, it's just a trade village again. Oh no, <laughs> just a slackline area again. Oh, parkour area, same as last time. Uh, yeah, I expect so. Um, so I mean, yeah, I'm pretty prepared for that. But fortunately, my French is so poor that um, I won't hear them complaining. <laughs> Good. Well, enjoy that. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. And this, I mean, they've got there's I've. They've, there's a big stage and they, they've got some French bands, which I'm really looking forward to seeing because I don't know why I find French pop hilarious, but it is. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I am actually going to go to the closing party as well, Ian. Okay. So goes on goes on till four o'clock in the morning on uh, on the banks of the lake. I don't, I imagine I'll be in bed by one. Right. Okay. Good. Good luck. Good luck with that. And any snow in La Clusa yet? No, no snow since... Well, there was at uh, the last podcast we had, there was a bit of snow. I don't know why. I, t- I even turned around to look out the window just to check <laughs> if it had happened <laughs> while we'd been talking. No, um, the temperature has dropped. Um, I'm hoping it will. So, um, what else? Anything else that we've got planned? I've Oh, Ian, guess what? I've been chatting to a guy called... Um, uh, oh, no, this is terrible. Forgot his name. Um, okay, it's a bloke. Yeah, it's a bloke. Um, he's got hair. What does he do? We're playing Guess Who now. Uh, he's a photographer, and it's called Rubens Kip. Uh, he has made some amazing photographs. He's um, he caught a photographer skiing um, down a mountain with the Aurora Borealis in the background. It's a beautiful, stunning picture. He captured the only um, picture of a skier skiing silhouetted by a um, lunar eclipse or a oh, solar yeah. eclipse that the most important one um and that was a quite a stressful experience for him and uh, he's made films about all of them and he's recently been trying to capture um a new photo and he's released a movie about it and i'm going to be talking to him about that experience wow excellent i look forward to hearing uh, hearing that one as well and and just a quick one on ski book group have you if we yep. kind of move forward for our next idea having having just done uh, uh, no, I think we were we were having a passive aggressive email argument about it, Ian, <laughs> uh, about what we should review. I'm happy to go with Eddie the Eagle. I can get that for four ninety seven, four pounds seventy five on Kindle. I'm happy to read that. Okay, well, Eddie the Eagle, it could be then. We have interviewed him before in uh, episodes uh, twenty nine and thirty. Um, Is it going to be better than the movie? I actually liked the movie. Did not like the movie. I don't have a problem with the movie. Yeah, I can't imagine it will be as good as a movie. But then most people oh, normally right. say the book's better than the film, but I don't think it's the same story. I thought Jurassic Park was better than the film. Right. Yeah, could Did be. Did you think? No. Um, yeah, so I'm happy with that. What was the other option? I don't think we have another option. Or uh, possibly you oh, suggested right. one that, that I uh, said I wouldn't read. 
There was another one. Um, I started reading the Ski, the one that said you weren't interested in. I'm actually finding it very good. Some great advice so far is why don't you try and ski with your eyes closed? Because um, you can get to feel the edges and the, your skis a bit more. So mm. I'm looking forward to trying that bit of advice. Okay. Um, okay. Maybe there was a third book. I can't else. remember it. Yeah, I should. Um, I'll wear a high vis jacket. Maybe but we're open to other there. listeners. Listener, if you know a good ski themed book that you think we should read for ski book group then let us know do you know what i specifically want i really want an inspirational book that really inspires me to go and ski i'm not i don't necessarily want a, a facts and stats book okay well maybe eddie will inspire you actually at listex i spoke to a vicky gosling who's a ceo of a gb snow sport and she was telling me about their uh, new uh, a ski jumper. She's a 16-year-old girl. Uh, her name is Maisie someone. Uh, and what she's, country did we steal her from? We stole her from Austria. Yeah, oh, right. and she's going to be starting competing uh, this year. And uh, Vicky Gosling's very excited about her prospects. So, and that we've stolen we've stolen a couple time. of other people as well. I can't exactly remember who they were now, but in addition to Charlotte uh, Banks, who we interviewed ages ago we've picked up a couple of other people from other countries as well so the 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 goal of becoming a top five snow sports nation is within reach Mm. nurturing that homegrown talent that's what we like yeah exactly right smash in well there we go on that positive note let's um sign off shall we okay let's sign off one more thing i just want to chip in we've got some exciting news coming up in our next episode i hope about a uh, partnership uh, with the ski, the ski podcast, and dot dot dot. We'll let you know next episode. Ooh, I'm on tenterhooks. I'm looking forward to it. We've never ended with a cliffhanger before, so we'll end now. Thanks for listening, everybody. Don't forget to share us with all your ski friends. Cheers, Ian. Bye bye. See you, Jim. Bye.